welcome to Croxley Green Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Start to wonder if I've got the right passage. (laughs) Uh, And this is one of those times. Uh, The joyful God, yes, yes, there is plenty of joy in this story. But is it just me or is it actually quite a dark story, isn't it? Uh, It's quite tricky. Uh, I was... uh, trying to think of a word that might describe it I've I've one of my Christmas presents this year from my beloved was the uh, the complete Uxbridge English dictionary have you come across this on uh, the radio 4 program I'm sorry I haven't got a clue uh, which we really enjoy it's a bit naughty sometimes but it's ever so funny um, it's been going for years hasn't it and some of the some of the people on it Barry Cryer how old is he He's so funny and so quick. Anyway, I love, we love these. We chortle at these. And I found one which perhaps uh, describes the feeling we have towards, maybe towards this story, and also towards weddings, which it's, it's kind of about, isn't it? Um, if you haven't come across the Uxbridge uh, Dictionary, I'll just read you a few, a few sort of, um, yeah, examples. They're just silly, silly words which they have different meanings to. So, whole food, a donut. Uh, let's have a look at another good one. Um, oh, this is a bit naughty, but quite good. WikiLeaks. What happens when you wee in a basket? But this is the one that caught my eye uh, for this story. Wisteria, a nostalgic form of panic. Which I think is great, isn't it? And um, sometimes, you know, this, this, these stories, you know, and weddings them, themselves, when we look back on them, you know, we feel nostalgic about them, but a wedding can, can bring a form of panic, can't it? And, uh, and one of the panics we have is about what to wear. And I was thinking about all the many weddings that I had been to in my life. And I realized that I had a catalogue. In, in my downstairs wardrobe, in the garage, of uh, the kind of panic that I had for everywhere. So I'm going to take you through my history of weddings now in hats. So, okay, so this one, rather a large hat, this was when I was going through my Andy McDowell phase, uh, four weddings and a funeral, and I like to wear a big hat, mostly because I've got big hair. So uh, that one was, I think that was brother-in-law's wedding, so probably about, I don't know, about 1992, something like that. So it's quite an old one, this one. Next up, that most difficult of uh, things, a winter wedding. Uh, This was when I was going through an early Downton phase. And uh, uh, this was uh, for my cousin's wedding, which was in the winter, and I had a very nice navy blue suit, which I can still wear the jacket on, but I could probably only get one leg in the trousers. Okay, now this one. This one was a corker. Now, this is fantastic because this one lasted me about 10 years of weddings because you can attach a different scarf every time. And, uh, and sew it on and make it match your outfit. You're impressed there, aren't you? Sewing. Actually, sometimes I stapled it on, but anyway. <laughs> now, this one. 
This one is a good one for when you're not entirely emotionally sure how you should feel about the wedding. This one I wore to my dad's wedding. And uh, my sister and I both uh, vowed we wouldn't wear hats, and then we both turned up in the same one. <laughs> Obviously felt emotionally drawn to this slightly dubious hat for a wedding. Now, then we enter the world of fascinators. Now, this is a particularly good invention if you're someone taking part in a wedding, which, of course, most of the weddings I go to now, I'm doing something in. We had a lovely one here yesterday. That's why we've got so many lovely flowers. Jill Robinson did all these beautiful flowers for them for yesterday. But if you are preaching or leading the wedding, but you want to look like a guest as well because you are part of the family, that can be a difficult thing to know what to wear. So this is my proud auntie doing a blessing doing the doing the sermon fascinator goes with most outfits that one's quite useful now get it on the right way last but not least mother of the bride i've got to buy another one of those so no, I'm not keeping that one. <laughs> that may have been a mistake to show off how many hats I've got, mightn't it? I may not do very well on the shopping trip. So what we know about weddings is that it's important to prepare. We need to think in advance, you know, about what we're going to wear. It's very important to invite the right people, isn't it? We're in that stage of, of uh, Mimi and James's wedding where we're looking at the guest list and he's got quite a big family and we've got you know, a really big family and we've got loads of friends and it's, that's a really stressful part of a wedding, isn't it? Trying to work out who you can invite and who you might have to leave out. And it's important to have the right outfit. And it's a year of weddings in our house, so I've got a lot of stress regarding the outfits. We had uh, Natalie and Martins here yesterday, uh, and that was lovely, it, despite the weather. Um, uh, we've got our nephews in June, our goddaughters in July. Now, that's a tricky one. It's in a wood. So you've got to wear something good on your feet. So, oh, nightmare. Our daughters in September, and in fact, hot off the press, since writing this sermon, another friend phoned me on Friday to say that their daughter's wedding will be two weeks after ours. So it's a, it's a year of weddings. And there are different preparations for all of them, but they all take a fair bit of planning, don't they? When you are the ones hosting the wedding, there are so many things to think about. The church, the venue, the caterer, the bridesmaids, the cake, so much to plan. And then the invite list, who to ask, who to leave out. Do you invite the people you really want or do you do the dutiful thing and invite family members you haven't seen for years? I think the tide is turning on that. Actually, it's very different with our daughters planning that. It's much more their do than when we got married, we had who our parents told us to have. And we, I bet you're nodding, I bet it was the same for you, wasn't it? Yeah. And you had the wedding your parents prepared for you. Yeah? Not like that anymore. And I think it's better for it, to be honest. I think, I think they plan much better do's, because they know what they want. So having the right outfit for each occasion always takes a bit of planning. There's an outfit you can wear for marrying the couple, 
I've got a few of those, standard dresses for those. Another that might be more suitable as a guest, and then another one for when you are the mother of the bride. So much to think about. Now, Jesus told quite a few stories about weddings. There was the one about the bridesmaids and their lamps, and there are two about wedding feasts. There is the one we read in Matthew, and there's another version of it in Luke. And of course, his first miracle was performed at a wedding at the beginning of his ministry. And it seems that weddings were pretty big occasions in first century Palestine, just as they are here and now. And in a land where then and now hospitality is absolutely central to the culture, Jesus tells us this story of a wedding feast as a way of telling us some pretty hard to swallow truths. And we should be very careful about how we read it. Because on the one level, we can read it that the kingdom of heaven is a great party and all are invited in. And indeed, it is a joyful story. God the Father is the ever generous host. And all we have to do is accept his invitation to enjoy the feast. And this is one way of understanding this story. But I think there is much more going on here than just that. It is certainly true that God's generosity and hospitality to us is beyond compare. He does indeed welcome in the good and the bad. Verse 10, do you notice? It's not just good people sat there at the wedding feast. And his capacity for joy and celebration makes even the most exuberant among us look like a bit of a party pooper. But there are some darker sides to this banquet story. So let's look at the preparation. First of all, God does indeed prepare the banquet. Just like any earthly parent, he has lovingly put on a magnificent spread to celebrate his son's wedding. All is ready. We can just imagine the tables laden with good things to eat. The best wine ready in the cellar, the best table linen and cutlery on the tables. Perhaps there are flowers in the middle of the tables and place names lovingly put by everyone's seat. Any of us who have prepared a party will know that feeling of excitement when all our preparations have come together and we are just waiting for the doorbell to start ringing. I always remember one lovely memory of... Um, one of my children's birthday parties, Miriam's fourth birthday party. And uh, uh, probably about four is about the first time you, you actually are excited about your birthday, isn't it? You remember. And she was so excited about her party. And afterwards, I sat down with her and said, so Mimi, you know, what did you like best about your birthday? She said, I love the doorbell. And what she meant was, I loved the fact that every time the doorbell rang, it was someone for me today. It was exciting to her. But of course, at four, you haven't got that inbuilt panic of what if no one comes, have you? You just don't think like that when you're four. And this is the scenario we've all imagined, isn't it? Every time we've done a party, what if no one comes? And it is exactly what happens to the king in Jesus' story. All the invited guests make their excuses and, in fact, very rudely refuse to come. All the rejection and humility that we fear when hosting a party ourselves happens to the king in Jesus' story. And so he tries once more, hoping that they've not heard the message right. And suddenly, 
the wedding guests are all too busy, too busy to attend the wedding feast of the king. And some of them even attack the messengers with the invitation. Now, when Jesus describes the preparation that the king has made for his banquet, he is thinking of hundreds of years that his heavenly father has been preparing for his arrival in the world. Just as we might lovingly prepare for the weddings of our own children, so God has been preparing for the celebration of his son and his bride, the church. He has been sending his servants to announce the feast to his family and friends. And the very people he chose to invite have not only rejected his invitation, but have attacked and murdered his messengers. The Old Testament is a long story of rejection. God's people time and time again refuse the invitation and ill-treat God's prophets as they try to remind them of their privileged position at the table. This is the dark truth at the root of Jesus' parable. And it would be easy for us to feel a bit smug here. It's not difficult to see who it is Jesus is getting at. Verse 7, which is uh, thought to have been a later addition to this story, and to refer to the Roman sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70, is an accusation, isn't it? It is absolutely clear. The chosen people have snubbed God's invitation to his son's banquet. And yet there are clear warning signs for us all here. Notice that the beginning of the people of their rejection is not, it's not violent or emphatic. Rather, it is just lazy and distracted. The people refused to come because they were ignoring the invitation and had other things on their mind. Their land, their possessions, their business. Is this so different from us, really? And we who know the sun have even less excuse when we are so apathetic and distracted that we forget to show up at the party. The chosen people of Jesus' time were so taken up with going through the motions of worship that they had forgotten to look out for the reason for the party. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. Church work can so easily distract from the reason why we are working in the church in the first place. Losing that sense of joy at being invited to the party can have some pretty drastic consequences according to Jesus' story. Are we missing our invitation to the party? Are we forgetting to take our place at the table of the king? Well, after the preparation, there needs to be the right people. So having prepared an amazing banquet and being snubbed by the original guest, the king opens his invitation to any old riffraff on the street corners. The king is intent on a party. And if the chosen ones don't want to come, he is more than happy to have the less glamorous around his table to celebrate. Good news for you and me. What is most important 
is that they know how to celebrate and they accept the invitation. These people at the table have showed up. And this is such a minimal requirement of a guest, and yet it is so vital. If we are going to enjoy the party, we have to show up. In this day and age of everything being on social media, it is increasingly possible to feel as though we are participating in something without actually showing up and being there. As I was trying to advise people about taking photos at the wedding yesterday, I encouraged them, in fact told them, don't take photos while they're making their vows. A, it's legally dubious, and B, you won't be fully present if you're busy taking a photo. And we can plough through people's photos on Instagram and feel as though we've been at an event, but this will never actually replace being there. And God, just like the king in Jesus' story, requires our actual presence. He requires us to actually show up to his party. And not in any half-hearted way, but fully present and fully celebrating. I wonder how he feels about our presence with him most of the time. How fully present are we at his party when we come into his presence together on a Sunday morning, or daily as we try to live our lives with him? Are we fully here? Or are we here in body only with our minds elsewhere? Perhaps we are even distracted from the party by the very things we are doing for him. I know that for me is a continual battle to remember to find God in the midst of doing all the things that I am doing for him when actually I think sometimes he would much rather I just stopped and spent time with him and joined his party. He requires our full attendance, our whole self turning up. And notice that it isn't the quality of the person invited that is the issue. God invites in the good and the bad. What is really important is how committed we are to being there. And of course, that is where the right clothes comes in, isn't it? Wearing the right clothes gives us away. The clothes we wear tell people things about us before we've even said a word. If we turn up to a job interview looking scruffy, and I have had a few turn up to job interviews looking scruffy, that says something about our attitude towards this potential employer. If we don't comply with school uniform policy, it says something about our ability to conform and value our education. I'm always struck by films of children in Africa going to school, living in desperately destitute housing, and yet they look like they are like a shiny new pin in their school uniform. If we don't comply with safety clothing regulations, it says something about our attitude to rules and policies that keep us safe. And this may be a bit old-fashioned, but I think if we are an MP and we stand up in the House of Commons wearing a dress that is falling off our shoulder, we should not be that surprised that that distracts from the message we are trying to bring. And if we turn up to a wedding... In our everyday clothes, it says something about how much we have valued 
the invitation. And the slightly scary bit at the end of this story can make Jesus sound as though he has suddenly joined the fashion police. And of course, that is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is pointing out is that our commitment to the invitation is revealed in how we present ourselves at the party. We may be ordinary, and we may even be a bit scruffy, but when we receive the invitation to the king's pancake, banquet if we don't change our clothes for the actual party we have missed something of importance of the invitation and the one who sent it now please hear me right this is not about being smart for church although if i were to turn up really scruffy every week you might want to start a few questions about how i valued being here The man who was not wearing any wedding clothes had failed to be changed by the invitation. He was happy for the free lunch, but not prepared to put himself out to respond to the kindness of the feast. We can be very good at sharing the good news that all are invited to God's banquet, but sometimes a little squeamish about the truth that the invitation should change us. Being invited into God's party is a wonderful thing, and we can come as we are. But the truth is that we cannot stay as we are. Being invited in must change us, or else we are like the ungrateful guest who eventually gets thrown out of the party. In other words, accepting God's invitation or conversion is only the start of the process of becoming a wedding guest. Conversion has to be followed by discipleship, a set of new clothes, as you so helpfully read, Audrey, from that passage from Luke. We have to change. Discipleship says that we are committed to being a good and joyful guest at the party. It says that we want to change and we want to recognise that it is only God who can change us. Now, one commentary I read on this parable suggested that at big weddings, like the one Jesus is describing, the host actually provides the wedding clothes, which helps us understand this story a bit better, doesn't it, when we know that? Because the rudeness of the guest sitting down stubbornly in his own scruffy clothes is really pointed, isn't it, when you think that the, the inviter of the guest, the welcomer of the guest, the provider of the feast has provided clothes for them to wear. And we know that God has promised to change us, to provide us with clothes we don't deserve. But if we don't put them on, we run the risk of rejecting his invitation. So how do we put these wedding clothes on? and commit to the party. Well, I think one of the things we have to do if we want to be changed is we have to spend time in worship, and we have to value worship. Most of what changes in us is being in God's presence. And worship is not an optional extra, a bit of singing to keep us amused before and after the important bits of the service or even just to you know, keep us amused in between the acts of service that we do. Worship is what we were created for. If we shortchange God in our worship, we are rejecting his invitation. That's partly why 
time away at a church weekend is so important. It gives us time to spend time in his presence. And the other way that we can change our clothes is when we spend time with each other. Growing as a disciple is a team sport. When we grow, we have to exercise patience and love with each other. And when we study the Bible together, and when we live life with one another, we are gradually shaping one another into a new person. Going it alone will not change us very much. Sitting at home and watching the God channel will not disciple us. Discipleship groups are vital if we want to grow in this area. And if you're not part of one, can I encourage you to join one? It's those long-term relationships which shape us and make us more like Jesus, which help us change our clothes. But we also need to be people that can party. How can we possibly understand the God of celebration if we don't value the joy and delight of party ourselves? It makes my heart sing when I hear of people planning parties for others. And we should know, we should be people who know how to celebrate. And our social events, I dare to suggest, are just as important as our meetings and our services because they help us to understand joy and celebration. Just think about the Gospels and ask yourself how often Jesus went to parties and dinners at his friends' houses. Most of his ministry is marked by these kinds of events. And if God behaves like this when he walks this earth, imagine his disappointment when his bride becomes a dour party pooper who has forgotten how to enjoy being with others. To conclude then, our God is throwing a party. We are all invited, every last one of us. But we need to take up that invitation and join wholeheartedly in the party. We need to get our wedding gear on and change from the person we were into the person that God has designed us to be. And we need to learn to celebrate. And then, maybe then, the, the world may just want to join in.